ask you to stand and turn to page 968 in the Pew Bible. And actually, as you do that, pull out your wallet. Um, some of you may have a wallet that looks more like this, a phone, because you use that for everything. Pull out whatever payment device or saving device or, or financial device that you have with you this morning. Pull that out along with the Bible. Open up the Bible to page 968 in the Pew Bible or your own Bible and put your wallet or your phone on the right side of the page. If you're using the church Bible, you can do this. It works out. We're going to read the text on the left side, and you can place your wallet on the right side. All right, assuming that most of us are open to the passage and have our wallets or our phones on the page, let me read from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. The Apostle Paul writes to the church. He says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up in his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many, many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contributions for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Lord, may your word be the foundation that we build our lives on. May your word, even as we hold it open here and have our wallets and our phones on top of it, may your word be the foundation. As we just sang, on your word may we rely, not on our bank accounts, not on our ability to make money, or save money, or give money. Lord, may our lives be built on the foundation of your truth, your word, your living word, the Son, Jesus the Christ. And so this morning as we talk about money and giving, Lord, I pray that it would be built on the foundation of you. May you meet each one of us where we're at this morning. Some have a long arduous history with money. All of us probably do. Some of us have baggage and wounds from churches asking us to give money. Some of us have no idea what it means. May you meet each one of us where we're at this morning and lead us to where you desire us to be in your presence where there are pleasures forevermore and fullness of joy. We pray these things in Jesus' strong, powerful, and sufficient name. Amen. Men, you may have a seat. 
This morning, as we continue our Why Do We series, we are asking the question, why do we do that? We're asking a bunch of different questions of the church. Why do we do that? Why do we do certain things? And this morning, we're engaging with the question, why do we give? Why do we give? And and we can look at giving from a couple different ways. We can talk about giving our time. Like, why do we sacrifice our time and volunteer and do different things? We can, we can give of our treasure, give of our, give of our financial gifts. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And we can also give of our talents, give of our gifts in service. So there's three ways we can give, time, treasure, and talents. But this morning, we're going to zero in on our treasure, on actually giving money to the church. How many of you have heard the phrase, the church only wants my money? Put your hand up nice and high. A lot of people in our culture assume this about the church, and a lot of people in the church have felt this. In fact, I have my own history, my own baggage of this, of feeling like certain churches and certain leaders within the church just wanted money and they were after money. In fact, I was at a church once and we were starting to talk about some capital campaign things, some building renovations. And there was some really cool conversations going on, thinking about how to get outside of the box and how to renovate our building to maximize ministry. And so this was developing, and it's not this church, we're in that process right now at this church, but I was at another church and this process was developing, and, it, and we hit this point where a, a few people said, you know what, we need to talk to this person. And, and I said, why do we need to talk to, we're, we're coming up with some ideas and, and we're getting some traction to make some changes. And they said, we need to pause on the talk of change until we can talk to this person. And in my youthful ignorance, I, I didn't know. I said, why do we need to talk to them? They don't even attend church here anymore. And I was told, well, they're a stakeholder. They used to attend church here and they gave a lot of money. I said, but, but now they left and they go to the church down the street. So do we really have to get their permission to make changes. They, they left this church. They go to another church. They didn't move away. They just chose to go to a different church. And there's no stakeholders in the kingdom of God, right? And I was told that I just didn't get it. And someday when I was a real pastor, I would understand. So now I'm a real pastor and we are going into building renovations. And I want all of you to know that if you use the word stakeholder with me, it'll set me off. Brings up baggage and frustration. Because and, there are no stakeholders in the kingdom of God, right? This is Jesus' church. We talked about that last week. He is the head of the church. Our job is to, to seek him and to follow him. Our job is not to follow the money. Our job is not to figure out how to position people and use people to get the money to do the ministry that we think should be done. And so we're asking this question this morning, why do we give? And it's kind of weird for me because I, I have some baggage with the church asking people to give and around this topic of money. And I want you to know, at least at the moment, and we can all get sidetracked, right? We all have blind spots. That's why we do life in community so that we can call one another out. But at the moment, I'm fairly confident in saying Park Community Church does not want your money. We don't want your money. So the question is, why do we give? We have giving boxes. You've seen them on the walls. We have giving envelopes in the pews in front of you. And if you go online, we we have an online system where you can give. So if we don't want your money, why do we ask you to give? That's the question that we're engaging this morning. Why should you give to a church? Here's the big idea. We give to get. So the big idea this morning. Some of you are very nervous. Like, I thought we weren't into that prosperity gospel thing, or I thought I wasn't supposed to be. I read some blogs on on one of my favorite blog sites, and pastors say we shouldn't be about the prosperity gospel. Some of you are very nervous with that statement we give to get. 
Some of you are very excited. Like, I read the opposite blogs that teach you that you should give and God will give you more. And so finally, my church is going to embrace this thing called the prosperity gospel. Some of you are just confused. You have no idea. You've never really been taught why you ought to give, what it means to give, or how to engage this topic. And so regardless of where you're at this morning, stick with the scriptures. I think track with me. We're going to cover a lot of ground this morning. I want to do kind of an overview of giving rather than a deep dive on one passage. We're going to do an overview of giving and talk about the big picture of giving. And I think if you stick with me, hopefully, I'm hoping you walk out of here with an understanding of giving and that, and that actually we encourage you to give, not because Park Community Church needs your money, not because our staff needs their paychecks, and if you don't give, we can't get our paychecks, not because we, we need to keep the lights on in the building. All of those are realities, but that, that's not why we encourage you to give. We don't need your money for that. God will take care of all of that. If this whole thing falls down because people cease to give, God's got a different plan, right? I'm totally free from needing you to give so that I can get paid because I trust God. And so why do we give? Well, you give to get. You get something deeper, something more meaningful, something more life-changing when you give. That's why you give. You give to get. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. What do we mean by we give to get? But to do so, we're going to look at some passages. So let's start with Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, it's on page 802 in the Pew Bible. And for reference here, God's people Israel, they, they are back from exile now. They're back in Jerusalem. They, God has reestablished his people Israel. They're still, we're still in the Old Testament here, but they're back from their exile, and, and they are trying to rebuild their city, rebuild their temple, rebuild their lives and their, their worship around God. But they're neglecting to give. God's people are failing to give. And here's what God says, starting in verse 8. He says, will man rob God? This is the Lord speaking. He asks this question of, of his followers, of his people. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you, God? And he says, in your tithes and contributions. Now, tithes means a tenth. Okay, so when you see the word tithe in the Bible, it just means a tenth, a tenth of your proceeds, a tenth of your income, a tenth of, they would actually give, they would give three sets of tens in the Old Testament. They would give a tenth to the priests and to the Levites, to, to kind of the temple worship for the people of God. Then they would give a tenth to, I'm drawing a blank on it, a tenth to the festivals. So they would actually, every year they would give a tenth of their produce and a tenth of their things so that the community of God could party. Do you imagine? The Old Testament system was give a tenth to the, to the organized worship structure, the organized thing, the pastors, the priests, the temple. Give a tenth to that so they can fulfill their religious duties. Give a tenth to parties. Can you imagine if our church gave a tenth of its income so that we could just eat and celebrate together? I think we should go back to the Old Testament system. No, I don't really believe that, but there's some benefits there. And then every third year, they would give a tenth to the poor, to the widow, to the outcast. And so this would total up to be about 23% every year that they were expected to give. And here God says that, will you rob me? You are robbing me because of your tithes, the tenths, and contributions. Verse 9, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. 
Bring the full tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord your God. Now the Bible says not to test the Lord, right? Some of you are familiar with those verses, but, but here God's actually inviting his people to test him in the area of their finances. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it may not destroy the fruits of your labor, of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. See, what's happening here, actually, God's people are experiencing famine They're experiencing drought. They're experiencing hardship because they're robbing God. They're not fulfilling the tithe. They're not fulfilling God's command of how to give. And so they're actually suffering with material goods. God's withholding from them because they're withholding from God. And and God invites them. He says, give. Fulfill my law. Fulfill the command and give and watch what I will do. I will open up the heavens and, and I will provide everything that you need. And I think the ESV Study Bible has a great comment on this passage. It says that God is promising that he will provide for their needs, not all of their greeds. See, in America, we have a hard time understanding this because we think, well, if I, if I give, if I give, if I give, I'm not going to get. Right? The big idea this morning is that we give to get, but, but we think if I give things away, I'm not going to get that new car. I'm not going to get that new wardrobe. I'm not going to get that new home. I'm not going to get that luxurious vacation. But, but see, God here is promising to provide our needs, not our greeds. And so actually, this passage is teaching us that, that if we give, God will provide. We give to get. We give to experience this. We'll talk more about this as we go, but let's move on to the next text. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. There's so many passages in the scripture about giving and money. It was one of Jesus' most talked about topics. There's 39 or 40 parables. Everyone kind of disagrees on the exact numbers because it depends on how you interpret a parable and what the point of the parable is. But there's roughly 39 or 40 parables in the Gospels and Jesus directly talks about money and giving in 11 of them. Again, it depends on how you categorize the point of his talking. But there's so much in scripture about giving. And so we're picking a few passages here, but this is just a very small snapshot. Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. Jesus looked up, and context here, Jesus is at the temple. He's at the place place of worship. He looked up, and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. It's like he's standing here watching you put your money in. Can Jesus do that? Isn't it supposed to be secret and private? Jesus is at the temple watching sees the rich coming and putting their offering in, and a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all that she had to live on. See, the the principle here is that sacrificial giving is more pleasing to God than calculated, conservative, and safe giving. According to Jesus, not according to me, according to Jesus. He's actually saying 
Those who give little, but it's sacrificial, understand God's heart more than those who give a lot, but it's calculated and it's comfortable and it's safe. Some of you struggle to give 20 bucks a month and it stretches your budget. Some of you have no problem, you have the capability maybe to give 2,000 bucks a month, but it doesn't stretch your budget. Which one is more pleasing and honoring to God according to this passage? The small sacrificial gift. Let's keep moving. Oops, not yet. 2 Corinthians 9, you know, let's skip over that. We just read it. We'll come back to that one. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 uh, through 15. Let's flip over to the 1 Timothy chapter 6 passage. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 19. It's on page 993. Paul, the apostle, is instructing Timothy, the pastor of the church in Ephesus here, how to live. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. It says, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Maybe we should pull our wallets back out as we read this one. I'm going to do it. You can if you want. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. Amen. It keeps going. As for the rich in this present age, I charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. See this teaching from the scriptures here? Be content with what you have. Don't crave more. Be, be careful of that craving for more. Be careful of the discontentment that you sense with what you have. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money will destroy you. It doesn't say having money is evil. It doesn't say that, that acquiring money or stewarding money or managing money or making money is evil. It says the love of money, this desire to get a hold of and, and to grab onto. We know the difference, right? Sure, if you 
search and sense your own heart, you know there's times where maybe you have a little bit of abundance, and, but you're not clinging to it. And other times where you're worried, where you're stressed, where you're anxious, and you want more, you feel like you need more. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It produces all kinds of darkness. The reality is true, more money, more problems. And you see it time and time again when people win the lottery or when people get a big inheritance, families often fall apart. More often than not, more money creates more dysfunction in families. And figuring out how to divide money between people when there's an inheritance creates tension and friction. It's because this love of money produces all kinds of evil. And it's very clear here in 1 Timothy 6, if you have money, praise God, it's a good gift that you are to then share. If you have money, and most Americans have money, even though we may be living paycheck to paycheck and struggling to pay our bills, and we don't have a large savings account, compared to the world, you have money. You can figure out how to make money. Most of us, if we feel like we don't have money, it's actually just because we're living above our means or up to our means, not because we don't have enough income. And that's not the case for everybody. But as Americans, generally, we have money. And this is, I mean, Scripture tells us clearly, if we have money, it's to give. That's why we've been blessed. So I've taken these passages. There's many more in the Scriptures, and I've compiled them into six things that we get when we give. The big idea this morning is that we get to give. Now, my preference would be to just stay in one passage, camp in there, and unpack it, but I, I felt like it was better to give kind of an overview this morning, give you four examples of Scripture, and then come out with some principles from it. Again, there's many more passages that talk about money and giving. These are the four that I want you to reference as you think through this. So six, six things that we get when we give. We give to get we invite you to give to the church so that you can get, not so that we can pay our bills, not so that we can balance our budget. I, I say that with all sincerity. I do not want you to give to this church so that we can keep the lights on. I want you to give so that you can get. Get what? The first thing is alignment with Scripture. We saw in these four passages, in all of the passages in Scripture that deal with money, the scriptures consistently call God's people to give of their money. So if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, if you want to walk with Jesus and do what Jesus has called you to do, we've talked a lot about discipleship, apprenticing Jesus, following Jesus. To be a Christian means you're following Jesus. You're, you're doing what he has commanded. You are seeking to live life with him, in him, for him, by him, through him, all for him. And so if you claim to be a Christian... This is your foundation. This communicates to us who God is and, and what he's done through us through his son. And this gives us instruction to give our money away. And so when you give, what you actually get is alignment with God. When you don't give, you're not aligned with God. If you're holding on to your money, if you're holding on to your resources and you're not giving, you're actually in contradiction with God's word. And so that's just something that you have to deal with as a Christian. Do you want to align with God and, and submit yourself to his authoritative teaching or not? Do you want this to be the foundation of your life? Do you want your money to, to rest on the foundation of God's word? Or do you want your money to be the foundation and try and build your life of following God on top of your own 
material wealth and control. If you're not a Christian here this morning, don't worry about this. You, you don't have to align your life with Scripture. We invite you to. We think you're going to experience more of an abundant, fruitful life and an eternal life with God. But if you're not a Christian here this morning, please do not hear the Christian church saying that you should give your money to the Christian church or hear the Christian pastor saying, we want your money. If you're not a Christian, you're curious about Jesus, you're questioning Jesus, we're so glad that you're here. Ask questions, get to know people, study God's word, figure out if, if you want to align your life with this or not. And if not, that's your choice. You don't have to align your life with God's word. But if you are a Christian, or if you want to become a Christian, you need to know that that means your life is to be aligned with the Word of God, and God's Word tells us to give. So it's a simple step for a disciple to give. When we give, we get aligned with God's Word, and that's what we want, right? I hope so. Secondly, when we give, we get freedom from the bondage of money. This was very clear in the text that we read. Money can be so deceptive and it has these hooks that can grab onto you. And I, I mean, you, you know, right? Whether you have money or you don't have money, money creates stress. How am I going to pay my bills in worry, worry, anxiety? Or how am I going to save for the future? What if disaster strikes? What if I can't get all the things that I want? What if I can't live the life that I want to? Money can be a bondage to us. Money locks some of us up. Money is one of the key contributing factors to divorce. Money can be a trap. And so practically when you give, you actually get freedom from money. If you give in the right way. Some people give money with conditions. I've, I've heard of a church that, that somebody gave a gift to this church and they said, we will give you this money if you do this with it. And the church took the money and did that thing with it. Well, that, that's not actually freeing you because you're still in control then, right? So just so you know, if you try and give money to Park and tell us what we have to do with it, we'll probably just decline the gift because we want to follow God and ask him what to do with it. Because giving one of the very essential practical tools of giving, the results of giving, is that it frees you from the bondage of money. You give it away, and sometimes you may experience this with like a homeless person on the street, right? Just the other day, we drove past one, and we were in the other lane, didn't have any cash on us, didn't have a chance to give, but but oftentimes, you know, people are like, well, I'm not going to give my money to the homeless person because I, I don't know how they're going to use it. They're probably going to buy drugs or alcohol with it. They might. And I'm not saying that every time you drive by somebody, you need to or have to give. You need to trust the Holy Spirit's promptings with that. Sometimes maybe you should ask them if they want to come to a restaurant with you and you buy their meal and get to know them, get to know their name, talk with them. Sometimes maybe you need to give them the $20 bill in your wallet. Sometimes maybe the Holy Spirit will say, no, don't, don't give here. I, I don't know, it's, it's hard. He sends the Holy Spirit out in that. But the whole point is you give to get freedom from the bondage of money. So I think if the Holy Spirit, if you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you to give to a need, but, but then your kind of the response reaction is, well, if I give this, how are they going to use it? They're probably just going to buy drugs with it. Is that your flesh or is that the Spirit? 
Spend a moment praying and asking God, is this flesh or is this spirit? Well, if the spirit's prompting you, hey, give and release control of how that money is used, you feel bondage. You feel freedom from the bondage of money. It controls us if we don't give it. Thirdly, it, it gives us a deeper dependence on God. We give to build a deeper dependence on God. This is foundational to our giving church. We don't give because the church or the ministry needs it. We give to get this relationship with God where we have to depend on Him. Giving is a very practical way for us to give up control of managing our own finances. And, and you need to steward your finances. God has given you income and expenses. Well, some of your expenses, He probably didn't give them to you. You just took them without asking Him. So figure that out. Maybe get rid of some of those expenses. But, but God has given you this income to steward. But the scriptures consistently show us that disciples of Jesus are to give their money away, give their time, give their treasure, give their talents, because this causes us, it forces us to depend on God to provide. In fact, my personal conviction this isn't a biblical conviction necessarily. I, I see this principle in Scripture that we're supposed to give sacrificially. So my personal conviction is that we should be giving to the point where, where, where it doesn't all make sense on paper. Because by the very nature of that, it means we have to depend on God to provide some things. And this doesn't mean you shouldn't have an emergency savings account or any of that. I just think there's this biblical principle that we see, this sacrificial giving, this giving for the point of getting a greater dependence on God. If I only give some over here and I've got my whole life taken care of over here, I don't actually have to depend on God for my needs. I personally want to give to the point where I have to trust God to provide because it grows a greater dependence. And then on the, on the connected side to that, the flip side of that coin, it gives you a greater dependence on God and it also, fourthly, it, it's, it, it allows you to witness God's provision. You give to get. What do you get when you give? You get to see God provide in amazing ways that you could have never thought of yourself. Get to know some of the people in this church and you will hear some stories of how God has provided when they have given. Seven years ago, Brittany and I moved to St. Louis Park to plant a church. We gave up two full-time incomes to raise support. We had 22% of our monthly needs met when we moved to St. Louis Park. 22%. We couldn't pay our bills. And God provided in miraculous, amazing ways that we never would have experienced had we stayed with our two full-time incomes in our previous life. And that doesn't mean everyone needs to quit their job and move to a new city, start a church, or do something radical like that. But the point is, when we give to the point of feeling it, when we give sacrificially, we grow this dependence on God and we get to see God do incredible, miraculous things. Oh, church, when we moved to St. Louis Park, when, when Pastor Ben and Jenny moved to St. Louis Park, they left a, a great financial setup at their last church to nothing. How did, how did Ben and Jenny decide to join this church plant? We lured them with, hey, you'll have no money, you'll have no house, you'll have no health benefits, you'll have to work at the local school sticking straws in a juice box for a couple of years. They, they gave up what they had, and watching God provide for them was so incredibly fun. 
I didn't ask Ben if I could share this, but he's in fact driving a car still that he was given six years ago for free. Somebody just gave him a car and that car is still running and he's still driving it. Because there was this giving and so we got to witness. And this isn't a commercial for Ben. They're not the example. It's just our experience. Our experience is that when you give, give up your time, your treasure, your talents, God does things that you would never have otherwise experienced. And don't you want that, church? I don't think you want your relationship with God to be calculated, to be organized, to be orderly, and to be mundane, routine, day by day. Everything matches on paper. The balance, the budget is balanced. We're good to go. I don't think you want that. Some of you, some of you fleshly speaking, you may. But really, don't you want some kind of vibrant relationship with God where he's blowing you away with the miraculous? Giving is a way that we get there. Fifth, we give to meet the spiritual and physical needs of others. This is just very clear in Scripture. This is why we give. You don't give to keep the church budget in line. You give, actually, the church is a conduit through which you meet the spiritual and physical needs of others. It's not about the budget. It's not about the building. It's about the people, and it's about the ministry. And so when you give, you give in order to... Here's what you get in return... You get the joy of knowing that you are aiding and meeting the spiritual and physical needs of others. This is how they gave in the Old Testament. This was the purpose for God calling his people to give in the Old Testament. They gave, again, about 23%. Ten to the priests so that they could function kind of the the orderly worship gathering and the the religious duties of the people. Ten percent to parties and festivals so that there was food and drink when they would come together, when they would celebrate, when they would acknowledge that God provided all things for them. And then again, 10% every third year to the poor, to the sojourner, to the needy, to the hungry among them. And, And God also had built into the Old Testament this system of gleaning. So a lot of them were farmers. One of the primary industries was agriculture. And so when they would, when they would harvest their crop, they were to leave the edges of the field unharvested so that any poor sojourner could come along and take the crop that was left over. This is built into God's economy. This is God's heart for giving. It, it, it's not to control people and take their money and to, to domineer. It's actually to, to bless people. So the Old Testament, about 23%, and then gleaning on top of that. Leave the edges of your field so that anyone who is needy may wander by and take that. That's the fifth thing that we get when we give. We get to know that we are actually aiding and meeting the spiritual and physical needs of people around us. Isn't that, shouldn't shouldn't that be an exciting reason to give? So here's, okay, six things. We've gotten through five of the six. I'm going to give you six principles for giving real quickly kind of underneath this subpoint. So we give to meet the spiritual and physical needs of others. So underneath that subpoint, there's six principles for giving. Most of these are out of that 2 Corinthians 9 passage that we started with. But I think as we consider Scripture, here's how Scripture tells us to give. Number one, from conviction, not compulsion. This is clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, let's, let's flip back to that passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it's on page 968. Paul writes, the point is this, and and in context of 2 Corinthians 9, he is actually writing to the church, telling them to take a collection for the Christians and for the church in Jerusalem. So there's one church that's having a hard time financially, and he's, he's 
asking another church to take an offering to give to this other church struggling financially. And he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. From conviction, not compulsion. Compulsion is like this kind of reactionary, emotion-driven, guilt-ridden giving. It's like when you watch that really convicting commercial about that poor dog who has no home and Sarah McLaughlin is playing in the background and so you pick up your phone and you call the Humane Society hotline and you give them $20. If that's your thing, that's fine. It's not wrong to give to that. But that's compulsion. Oftentimes churches use compulsion to get you to give and this is why so many people have been hurt by churches because they, they tug at your heartstrings or they, or they give you this guilty reason why, this guilt-inducing reason why you ought to give, and out of compulsion you give, out of emotions you give. But the scriptures is teaching us to give out of conviction. And, and so church, if you're not giving or if you need to consider your giving, build a conviction around giving. Don't give out of compulsion. Don't give out of guilt. Don't give out of an emotional drive-by where you feel like, oh, I better. You've probably been to these things, right? Like these... <laughs> I was reading this passage not too long ago, and I went to a fundraiser, and I didn't believe in the fundraiser, and I'm sitting at a table, and that moment in the fundraiser comes when the person pulls out the envelope, and they pass it around. Have you been at these? And it's super awkward. Everyone's pulling out their wallets, their credit card numbers, and putting it in, and, put, you know, and then you give it to the table host. I was reading this passage, and I was at the fundraiser, and I felt a conviction not to give to the organization. But I felt compulsion because I'm at this table with all these other people pulling out their wallets. So I did the awkward thing and put the envelope in without writing on it and gave it to the table host, empty. <laughs> because I'm Minnesota nice enough that I couldn't handle the thought of like everyone knowing that I didn't give, but whatever. You get the point, right? You've been there. That would have been giving out of compulsion. And the scriptures tell us not to give that way. So I actually felt like to honor the scriptures, I'm not going to give. Because I had a conviction. This is how we give, from conviction, not compulsion. We also give joyfully, not reluctantly. This is what 2 Corinthians 9 is teaching us, to give joyfully, a joyful heart, not reluctantly. And so I would actually encourage you, church, there's, there's, this is hard to figure out because sometimes your joy follows your obedience, right? So maybe you don't always feel joyful in your giving, but, but God has called us to give, and so I'm going to discipline myself to give, and through the act of discipline, God will actually give me joy. I think sometimes that's how we pursue things, but other times, I think if you have this hard heart, maybe just don't do it. And I don't know, that's up to the Lord to convict you on how to do that in the Holy Spirit, but but the principle here in the scripture is to give joyfully, not reluctantly. And so if you are reluctant to give, maybe that's actually the Holy Spirit giving you pause. And maybe you should actually say, maybe I shouldn't give to this cause or give to this ministry or give to this church because I'm not joyful about it. And then search your heart. Why am I not joyful about it? Is it because I'm holding on to my money? Or is it because I don't believe in what they're doing? Or whatever it may be, you, you need to search your heart and figure that out. But the principle in Scripture is to give joyfully, not reluctantly. Third principle is to give generously, not sparingly. 
Again, we covered this. We, we saw this with the widow in Luke 21. Gave all that she had, two pennies. That's going to keep the lights on for half a second. Jesus saw it, and Jesus loved it because it was generous. It was sacrificial. It was all that she had. It wasn't sparingly. It wasn't a calculated, safe, comfortable amount like all the rich people who were putting in their large offerings. It was generous and joyful. It was honest and heart-filled. Fourth principle is giving organizationally and organically. We see this in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, they gave to the priests, they gave to the people of God through this organization, this organized family, the people of Israel. In the New Testament, we see them giving to the local church. That's Paul here taking a collection, taking an offering from a local church to help another local church. So sometimes we, we wrestle with this idea, should we give to an organization or to a church, to both, or do we just keep our own money and do we just give kind of organically as the Spirit leads us? Is it better for me to give X amount of money to my local church or for me to keep X amount of money in my wallet so that when I see people in need, I can just give them that money? Both. I think if you do a study on scriptures, and even the texts that we read here today are going to give you an indication that there's both, organizationally and organically. Next principle is to give consistently and spontaneously, and this is, this is similar. So it, if the scriptures show us giving to a local church, giving to a local body, giving to a people who are gathered to worship Jesus, there should be some consistency to that as much as you can. I mean, this is what we saw in the Old Testament. Every year, 20%, 10 to the priests, 10 to the festivals, and then every third year, another 10% for the poor among you. There's this consistency to that giving, and it was organizationally. It was this consistent giving to the organization. But then there was also this spontaneous organic giving that when somebody had needs, I mean, scriptures over and over again calls us, if you see your brother in need and you don't give him your coat, you're worse than a tax collector. You're worse than a Pharisee. There's this response to giving, this, this spontaneous giving that it, it's not out of compulsion. Okay, so it's not when you have that moving video or sales pitch and then I give reluctantly or give out a compulsion or give spontaneously in the moment because I didn't plan or think it through. But, but there is this level of spontaneous giving where the Lord will bring situations in front of us and, and prompt us to give. And pair that with consistent planned giving. And then lastly, locally, regionally, and globally. We see this again throughout the scriptures, especially in the book of Acts. They are called, the, 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 the church is called to be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. That's their local, when, in Acts 1.8, that's locally where they were. Be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. Park Community Church. Be witnesses in St. Louis Park and their surrounding communities. But then they were also to be witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, and to Samaria, and to the region, so Park Community Church. We're called to be witnesses in our region, in the greater Twin Cities, Metro, in the greater state of Minnesota, and then to the ends of the earth, Acts 1-8 tells us, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. In the same way, Park Community Church, we are, we are to be witnesses locally, regionally and globally. And a part of this witness is giving. A part of how we care about the kingdom of God around the world is to give our finances to it. 
And so we see in Scripture, actually, that their giving wasn't just local. It wasn't just zeroed in on their little fellowship. But they didn't neglect that little fellowship for their region. And they didn't neglect the local fellowship and the region for the world. They didn't give all of their money to cross-cultural global missions and neglect their home church. They didn't neglect their home church. They didn't neglect world missions and give just to their home church. They, They did it all. And they had enough because everyone was giving sacrificially, joyfully, and generously. And so this is how we're called to give. One quick question that I want to address, and then we'll move on. When you give to Park Community Church, where does your money go? We have giving boxes here. We have giving envelopes in the pew. We have online giving. And I want you to know the heart and the motivation for that. We're we're not asking you to give so that we can keep functioning. That's a practical result of your giving. That's not our motivation. Our motivation in encouraging the church to give is that you get, you get all the things that we're talking about. But the question remains, where does your money go? How do we use the money as a church? Here's where it goes. 56, so every dollar that you give to Park Community Church, 56% of it goes to local ministry. That's to the ministry of this local church here in this community, everything that we do from paying our staff to meet with people, to disciple people, to, um, to our ministries, when we buy curriculum for our kids' ministry, when we buy food for celebrations, for gatherings, 56% of every dollar that you give goes to the ministry of the church. Yesterday, a bunch of you ladies were at the tea celebration. Some of the money that you give to the church helped to support that event. 56% goes to that. 20% goes to global ministry. 20% of your giving goes directly to missionaries around the world. We sent Linnea to Guatemala last year. We sent Clinton Christina Rivas to Senegal, Africa. We've sent missionaries. We have a bunch of missionaries that we support, and 20% of every dollar that you give goes to them. And then 24% is local maintenance. It is keeping the building on, keeping the building open, keeping the lights on, caring for our grounds, making sure that when people want to get married here, they can get married here, that when families want to dedicate their children, they can dedicate their children here, that when we want to gather on a Sunday morning that there's air conditioning and heat and all of those things. It's not an exciting way to spend money, but it's a reality, right? It's a necessary way. And then 100% of what you give to the fellowship fund is used to people in need. So if you grab a giving envelope on the pew in front of you, you'll see that you can designate some to the fellowship fund. That, that's the only way that we allow you to designate, actually, is to people in need. And so if you want 100% of your offering to go to help people paying rent or getting food or getting clothing or getting gas in their car, we have a fund that we do that with. That's where your money goes. All right, moving on. That was all a sub-point of number five. We give to get. When we give, we get to meet the spiritual and physical needs of others. And lastly, the last reason that we give, the last thing that we get when we give, is a life that resembles Jesus. When we give of our time, our treasures, and our talents, so keep all three of those together, think, how am I giving of my time? How am I giving of my gifts and my abilities? But then also, how am I giving of my money? When we give... We get a life that more closely resembles Jesus. And isn't that the point of being a Christian church? To to be like Jesus, to live life with him. He's 
in us, but then to live a life that resembles him so that others could see how glorious God is. The scriptures call us ambassadors for Christ. And when we give, our life more closely resembles Jesus than when we hoard or when we fail to give or when we give a small, calculated, safe amount because that's not how Jesus gave. Jesus gave it all. Jesus left his throne on high. Philippians 2 tells us that he considered equality with God not a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself to the point of death, taking on the form, the nature of a servant. Jesus gave. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 with me, verse 9. In the context of what we've already read here, Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. We give out of an understanding of the gospel and out of an experience of the gospel and out of being a witness to the gospel. Do you, do you hear that verse? This is all in the context of Paul writing to the church in Corinth about giving. And this is what he says. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was in heaven, on high, with all glory, with all power, with all majesty, with all things available to him. He left it, walked on this earth as a poor man, without a home, giving everything away so that you and I might become rich. And this isn't a financial richness. This is a spiritual richness. This is so that we would be satisfied. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 tells us that he has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So church, we give to get. We give to get a life that resembles Jesus. We give to get a greater understanding of the gospel. We give to experience the loving kindness of God. We give because Christ first gave to us. Amen? You don't give to keep the church going. You give to experience God. And so now we're going to respond. I want to respond to this verse with communion. I don't want you to give reluctantly. I want you to come and receive what he gave. We have two communion stations here in the front, one in the back. The crapper, cracker represents Jesus' body broken for us. That, that his physical body, his physical well-being was poured out for you. It became poor. He was poor that you might become spiritually rich. And the cup represents his blood shed for you. He was poured out that you might become rich. And so whenever you feel ready, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of your denomination, regardless of your background, regardless of your history with money, if you're still holding on to it tightly but you believe in Jesus, come to the table. Because he died for that closed, clenched fist. And as you come, you're going to have to open it up to take his body and his blood. And I hope that that helps you to experience the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for who you are. That though you were rich, you became poor. 
so that by your very poverty, we might become rich. May we understand what that means as we take communion. May we experience that life-giving truth as we take communion. For your glory, for our good, and the advancement of your gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.